In the hurry to get the cultural support teams, the CSTs out onto the battlefield, perhaps in the belief that they would remain far from the front lines since the combat ban remained enforced, the women had never filled out their casualty packets with paperwork stating where they would be buried and listing all of their awards. As she typed, Leda was speaking on the phone to Anne, assembling biographical details that would accompany the news release announcing Ashley's death. Who is it? Sarah asked Lane, who was sitting next to Leda. Between sobs, Lane replied, Sorry, District. IED explosion on mission. Ashley. Throughout the night, CSTs across Afghanistan learned about Ashley's death, struggled to believe it, and put off the pain of their own grief by making sure their teammate heard the news from Leda or a fellow CST. Each of them felt the need to keep her composure, not only for Ashley, but for the program itself. No CST had ever died in battle before, and the scrutiny would be high. They all understood this immediately. Welcome to Glorious Professionals, brought to you by GORUCK Media. I'm Jason here with Emily, and our guests today are here to remember and honor First Lieutenant Ashley White, who was killed during combat operations in Kandahar Province in Afghanistan on October 22, 2011 when the assault force she was supporting triggered an IED, an improvised explosive device. Ashley was assigned to 230th Brigade Support Battalion, 30th Heavy Brigade Combat Team, North Carolina National Guard, Goldsboro, North Carolina, and served as a member of a cultural support team attached to a Joint Special Operations Task Force in Afghanistan. The intro that I read came from the book Ashley's War, the untold story of a team of women soldiers on the special ops battlefield by Gail Lemon. Our guests today all knew Ashley White personally. Let's, let's take you guys in order so people get to know the people that knew Ashley. Brian, let's start with you. My name is Brian Porter. Um, I'm a, actually, I have five days left in my military service, uh, almost 24 years. I'm retiring as a first sergeant I'm with the Ohio Army National Guard. Uh, spent the last 16 years in recruiting command in numerous positions. Uh, I was one of the uh, recruiters uh, that recruited Ashley during her time in joining the Ohio Army National Guard. Um, myself and a guy named Rob Scott, that was a big part of her joining. And that's kind of my, my story. I worked at Kent State University when she was there for her all four years of her uh, ROTC um, SMP agreement. And I, I got to know her very, very well. Oh, hi. Um, I'm Doug, and uh, I served uh, 10 total years uh, between active guard and reserve time. Um, I went through the entire enlistment process with Ashley, uh, down to even uh, shipping out at about the same time. We we enlisted just, I don't know, a few weeks apart officially, but we went through everything together. Uh, and we had been friends uh, ever since then. I kind of hear, am here representing a group of, um, a group of friends that uh, we all, we all say we grew up together. Yeah, we were 18 when we met, but we were just dumb kids. And uh, so we kind of have grown up and all of us um, are still friends to this day. That's, uh, that's the whole story of how, how we got to this point. All right, we'll get into some more. Molly? Hi, um, I'm Molly. I uh, commissioned as a second lieutenant in 2010 um, at Fort Sam Houston, actually with Ashley. Uh, we were in the same platoon, six platoon. Uh, and if I'm representing anyone here, it's that group. We uh, all were extremely close. We had a fantastic group of uh, brand new baby officers Um I ended up staying in seven years, uh, but got to know Ashley really well over that training period and was able to keep in touch with her up through her deployment. And um, I'm really excited to be here and talk about her. 
So full disclosure, we had, we all had dinner at our house last night and <laughs> the, the time machine of your inside your phone popped up and there was yeah. this picture of this pizza that was like the size of Rhode Island, right? And it was yes. all of you all together. And, you know, it was, it was just kind of cool. I could just see the wellspring of yeah, memories you know, and emotions. You asked me several times last night, like, wait, you went to basic training? I was like, no, I went to officer basic training, especially in the, in the med department. It's a, it's very different, but, um, we had a lot more free time and fun time, I think, than most basic trainings do. Not to say we didn't get a lot of work done as well, but, uh, yeah, that picture, it was funny. It popped up on my Facebook timeline last night of, our platoon going out to the biggest pizza in Texas in San Antonio. And if you've done any, any army training in San Antonio, you know about this place, they've got um, a 42 inch pizza or something, but yeah, that popped up from 11 years ago and Ashley's obviously in that picture. And it was a, uh, it was a really fun, memorable night. The pizza was bigger than she was <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, she, yeah. You, you were telling us that she wasn't very big in stature, right? And, and she was you know, a little deceptive how strong she could be, right? She was quite petite. And um, <laughs> she definitely was was someone that uh, when I first met her, which I'm, I will get more into, but she was someone you'd sleep on and then she would, uh, she'd blow you away. She didn't have to say anything. It was always through her actions, through her fitness and through how tough she was. You wouldn't physically sleep on her. <laughs> You would I, have crushed her. I would not physically know because I also still would have crushed her. But yeah, she, uh, she was a sleeper there for, uh, yeah. for everything else. All right. So I want to kind of take this chronologically and just to kind of manage expectations out there. We'll, we'll go through a, a lot of Ashley's life and personal stories. And I'm sure some stuff on females and women in combat will, will come up along the way. You know, we'll, we'll, take, we'll take all this stuff as it comes. How does that sound? Sure. All That's right. Perfect. All right. So let's start, you know, talking to a recruiter. I feel, uh, I feel much more at ease because there, there, there are no pieces of paper between you and me right now. <laughs> your, your soul will blacken with any lies that you tell inside this room right now. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, you know, as I understand it, Ashley was not groomed to join the military. It came as kind of a, a great surprise to her twin sister and yeah, to her family. Great, and and yeah, you were, yeah. you were there yep. with a front row seat for all of it. So Absolutely. walk us through your first time meeting Ashley. And uh, the, the thing is like, she was, I mean, very, very quiet, very soft-spoken, but when she wanted to do something, she wanted to do something. And she told her family that this is what she wanted to do. And they were initially, like you said, they were shocked and surprised that she would really be interested in doing this because they never really talked about her, heard about it. They didn't really have much knowledge of what the military was, especially when it came to the, the National Guard and the ROTC, the simultaneous membership program. They didn't understand a lot about what that was. And, and the thing that was a little bit odd with us, I worked there with a gentleman named Rob Scott. He's retired now as well. You're uh, in Alliance, Ohio? No, or? we worked out of Kent State University. Kent State. Oh, you're so out of Kent State. We were okay. literally right on campus inside the ROTC department. The National Guard in Ohio, we have it, every main campus, we pay 100% of college tuition. So we had offices right on the campuses. So that's where we first met her. She signed up for a MS1, the ROTC class, and it's not affiliated with the National Guard, but a lot of folks did both. It's the experience. And we'll get into a little bit more about that. So when she first came in, we don't really do home appointments. 
You know, we, we deal with mostly college kids. So, so we didn't really deal with a lot of parents. So with her that really stuck out specifically is she wanted us to go and talk to her parents because they were a little bit, ah, I don't know if this is, they, she needed an explanation. Her parents needed a good explanation and we were obviously good at doing that. So we drove out. <laughs> you yeah. thought you were good at doing that. Come on. <laughs> yeah, we were good at it. <laughs> so we ended up um, driving out to our house. I think it was a Friday night. It was it was an, an evening. And we, we went out there and sat down with her her parents inside their, their living room. So wait, how did it get to this point where you, you all had met? And how, how much did you know about her before? Uh, it was probably within the first um, couple weeks of school. When, when school got back in, you know, the end of August, um, in the first couple of weeks, she, she really liked the ROTC and realized this is something that I want to do. Um, and I wanted to, you know, also be a member of the National Guard. So it was probably within a month the whole process really took place. And it was pretty, like I said, it was pretty fast. It was just, we didn't do home appointments. That's what really sticks out more than anything about this because – I mean, you're a grown adult. You're 18 years old. We don't need to talk to your parents. You can sign for yourself. So she went to you and said, please, you know, yes. you need to come yes. talk to my parents. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. She wanted the she wanted to buy, which I mean, we we do talk, we do talk to parents. It's not like we won't, but it was just most of the time we weren't driving to uh, Marlington as the area that, that high school. We don't really drive out there from Kent. They typically would come to us. But with her, we we sat right in the, the living room and and talked to her parents and one of the, the big thing was at that time with the SMP program in the National Guard is if you're in the National Guard and you're doing ROTC, you're not deployable for your whole college career. So that was one of the big important things because they didn't want her to get pulled out to, to go overseas. I mean, this is in 2005. So, I mean, you're looking at, you know, Iraq was still pretty, pretty heavy during those time frame. Yeah, I mean, arguably the worst was yet to come, but it had been yes. it had been pretty bad. Yeah, in the National Guard, we were deploying a lot of OIF one, two, three. I mean, we were we were sending a lot of troops at that time, and there wasn't a lot of notice. So, and they, they didn't care if you're in school; they had to pull you right out, send you to school because we're paying for the school. So it doesn't matter if you go this year or next year. So, what was the initial reaction? Had Ashley prefaced her parents at all, or were you oh, yeah, kind of yeah. like the blind date no, showing no, up with, no. the, with she, the bad yeah. news? No, she. <laughs> <laughs> she she definitely talked to him. She definitely let him know that what was up, and but it just I think like I said, we solidified everything that she was she was telling them, so it made it a little bit easier. So there was some appeal to reason of I'm in school, I'll get my school paid, right? And so was and they the, wanted her finish school, just like any yeah. parent. I mean, you know, you want your 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 loved one to 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 finish school if that's the priority. I mean, were there tears in the kitchen like there were when I told my mom? Uh, no, I, I think that the interview, it was one of those things where we went in and they were, it was kind of like, you know, arms crossed. That's, that's my baby girl. I don't know if you're going to take her or whatnot. But then once we kind of explained everything and let her know that, you know, four years, she's going to be non-deployable. She's going to be in the ROTC. So it was one of those, hey, you guys want a beer before you leave? I mean, it, it went, it went very well. And, and what was Ashley's main motivation? She wanted to serve. Yeah, she wanted to serve. And that's the other thing that was very unique with her, too, because then is once as the semester progressed, she was a super, super athletic um, individual. And her PT score was, if you know anything about the old PT test, 
you know, 300s max in it. Well, she was getting 336s on the PT test. So she had a unique opportunity to, they wanted a contractor straight ROTC. If you did that, that would void your National Guard basic training. So she didn't have to go to basic training that the following summer. Well, she said, absolutely not. I want to go to basic training. So that goes right there to tell you the person she was, she had an opportunity to get out of going the, uh, you know, full, blo- it was a National Guard basic training. It's full-blown active duty Army basic training. You've got a lot of people out there listening. When you said that, they were like, wait, let me check my ears real quick. And, and then they were about to be, wait, am I actually going to still respect this this girl? I mean, I know, you know, everything right. that she eventually did, but- you know, yes. good, good on her, right? Absolutely. I mean, first off, I don't know who put that policy in place, right? That you can just skip basic training. It seems, it seems not right. I mean, I yeah, say that, that I say that matter of fact, but she understood that yeah, as well, which is she did, which is yeah. super and, and, cool. and that was what you know a lot of these guys because going to basic training and 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 being in the National Guard and and in the ROTC, you could go to drill weekends, so you get experience on your drill National Guard weekends. And you're around troops, you're, you're, a, you're a cadet, but you're still in a leadership role, kind of shadowing an officer. So it gives you that experience that if you go strictly ROTC, four years, you, you don't get that experience. You don't get the basic training experience. Yeah, you get the training, but it's just a little bit different. It's not, it's, not, it's kind of like more from a book per se, not live basic training. <laughs> Well, we'll probably petition to change that. You know, I don't know how, how far we'll get. One one thing, what was her stature? Again, I mean, be as specific as... Oh, very. She was... I'm not a very big guy, and I, I towered over her. She was all of... Uh, she didn't even... She was just kissing about five foot three. So she was five foot two, 130 pounds when I met her. So she was a very, very tiny, unassuming girl. And, and what, what, what did she grow up doing? Is she like a gymnast, or was she into other sports? From what I remember, I think that her and Brittany both did gym, gymnastics. Yeah, they did gymnastics. Up. I mean, they're yeah. twins, obviously, so they they look very much alike. And sometimes, like, going through Facebook pictures and stuff, I see pictures of Brittany and thinking it's Ashley. Like, there's there's certain angles that they very much look alike. But um, they're both built like Olympic gymnasts, like very Absolutely. strong, petite, and just, you know, have a presence. She also was quite the cross-country runner. Uh, from what I remember, uh, when she was in high school. And um, it was one of the few things she would brag about. And so um, she was she was a heck of a runner, uh, even even before her military service, which translated really well with that. But she could throw up weights like you wouldn't believe for this tiny girl. Uh, my judge has always been your body weight plus 20%. And she far exceeded that uh, over and over again when we were in the gym. It was impressive. So, all right, you you're... You recruit her. Mm-hmm. She gets in. Yep. So ex- explain a little bit about what that program was and, okay. and so, the time that you guys so spent So she together. got in, um, and then she did not ship till after her first full year of college. So she joined, I believe it was September yeah, of 05, and then she didn't ship to basic training until it would have been May of 06. So we had her for pretty much a whole school year. So she learned a lot in the ROTC we do what's the pre-basic training program that we run. It's called the uh, RSP in Ohio. So she came there and just crushed it. I mean, just eh. she was outdoing most most of the males on. And when I, I'm not joking when I say the p- amount of pushups she would she would do, I would actually recruit other people. We would talk to them like, "Hey, man, this girl can do more pushups than you." And people would laugh, <laughs> and we were we were dead serious because she could. 
What, what, what did that RSP entail? Um, it's the pre-basic training program. So we train soldiers, we prepare them to go to basic training. So when they go to go to basic training, there's no issue with transition. We're kind of like the mini drill sergeants. We kind of yell at them, get in their face a little bit. Uh, but our, our real focus is just making sure that that adjustment period, that a lot of people struggle with they're, they're used to that. And, and we do some, some of the physical part. And then we do teach a, a lot of the, the basic skills. So when, when you get there, it's, it's not like the culture shock, like the awe factor that, you know, a lot of people struggle with. So when you say that her motivation was service, how, how did you realize that? Uh, just the fact that she would, I mean, she stepped up to the plate, obviously she volunteered to, to join, but just the fact that she had an opportunity to not go to basic training, not go to, you know, get out of everything, but she chose to to go because that was the person that she was so dedicated and focused and motivated. She was just one of those, but you would never know. And that's like what, what Doug was saying earlier. You would never seeing her and talking to her. You never got that. You, we'd walk in a room, even at drill or wherever at ROTC, she was not the one that would stand up and, you know, say she knows this, even though she does, she knows all the answers, but she wasn't the one that would get out in front and be the loudest. So, Doug, you were in ROTC with her. Tell us some uh, a good story about your time together. Like, you know, you obviously grew up together. You're at school. You yeah, go we, doing the waking up early and and doing runs and stuff together. What was that like? Well, she was waking up early. <laughs> uh, um, she um, she is very motivating for uh when I said I, I represent a group of friends that grew up together and we were, we couldn't be totally more different. I mean, we were talking like we had a hundred percent Asian kid that literally his family owned a sushi restaurant. We had Ashley, uh, who was quiet from, uh, from kind of like a small town. And I was kind of the loud, annoying city boy. And we had our friend, uh, Lucy, who was more like a flower child at the time. And somehow we all meshed like real perfectly. Um, and Ashley was always there with hilarious one-liners and, um, she was always there to kind of keep us, keep us calm and everything. Uh, the first time we ever did a PT test together though, and we had just met and then they do one, I don't know, like a, a weekend. And, um, I'm, I'm looking at her. I'm like, yeah, I'm about to show this, this cute girl. What's up? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah. This cocky, uh, 18 year old. I did absolutely awful. And all I could do is she's like, how many pushups do you do? I, like, I don't know, like 45. She's like, that's so good. Look at how, and uh, how many steps do you do? I'm like oh, 55. And she's like, Oh, look at that's So awesome. You're passing. And then the PT <laughs> test gets over and I'm like, yeah, Ashley's been very encouraging. I hope that she gets better. Like, what are you talking about? She smoked it. So <laughs> she, she didn't say one thing about how good she did. All she was worried about is, is encouraging other people. It was, it was super sweet. <laughs> I was texting my friend Lucy uh, before we came here, and uh, she, she told a story about Ashley where they she was actually a, a part of a sorority uh, as well. And so they went on a run, and uh, Ashley's roommate accidentally locked them out, and they didn't have a key. And so they had to go to the sorority house like on like a Friday night in Kent State. They had to run through the woods to take a shortcut there. So they show up at the sorority house where all the other girls are dressed to like the nine and they're being serenaded by like the uh, frat boys. And Ashley comes in to get a key covered in mud and sticks and leaves in her hair. But she she mingled with everybody like it was nothing. Um, so she fit in to anywhere she was. She was just that person that that everybody liked. You know, she was covered in sticks, but still was a member of the sorority. And but there 
worried about being dressed up and she just ran miles through woods to get there. And that was Ashley. She really was everything. She wasn't loud. She wasn't boisterous and she was very humble. She didn't have to be, and she probably shouldn't have been. And so, um, we had a lot of times of, uh, of going to the gym together and me, uh, me humbling my stupid 18 year old, um, opinion on what women can and should be doing. And it was very impressive. Uh, one time we're running around the track at Kent state and I'm talking a lot. This is after, uh, we had both been to basic training and I'm puffing my chest out. The, uh, the young, stupid infantrymen. And I'm like, you really think that you could pick me up and run? Like you think a girl could do. And before I could finish, she, <laughs> she pretended like she was going to give me a hug and then threw me up on her shoulders and started running down the track. Yeah. And, um, hilariously laughing. I ended up falling off hilariously laughing, but moments like those that I look back on now, uh, shaped who I am in my mid thirties about what I believe women can do. It's, it's awesome to look back on how much of an impact she makes, uh, even today. Yeah. So she, uh, she was great. Big coffee drinker. I, I really, I, I used to joke with her that if I drank as much coffee as she did, that I could do what she did too. It's not the case, but that's, that was my only alibi there. So I think the stuff on, on PT or physical training is, I mean, it's a foreshadowing to a lot of what the book talks about as well. I mean, you know, I, I read these passages in the book that are like, if you're new in any place you show up in, in the military, I mean, doing work is their love language. It's how they will assess you. If you don't look the part, like strike one, two, and three. You know, even if you look the part, it doesn't matter. I mean, that's how you, that's the only way that you can actually control to prove yourself. And so as you kind of get into, well, how can women, how can people with less physical gifts of, of any, either sex, right? I mean, how can anybody kind of make their, make their way into any other place? I mean, foundational to that is PT. I think it's an interesting uh, concept because if like to your point, to your point, no matter who you are, if you show up to a new unit and you take that first PT test and you smoke it out of the water, that's how you get off on a right foot. No matter, that's how you earn respect immediately. And I always talk to Ashley about like, Hey, you're naturally gifted at, you know, this, this, and this, but some other things you're not. And she, she would kind of look down and she'd be like, yeah, but you just have to work on it. And that's her way of saying, uh, I'm, I'm willing to work my butt off. She had a relentless work ethic uh, when she found CrossFit, she, she wasn't very good at a lot of the movements. She got relentless. She relentlessly worked on it until she was, and she wouldn't tell a soul that she was relentlessly working on it. It wasn't about bragging. It wasn't about look at me. It's she in her own mind wanted to be the best. And I think that that can translate to women coming into things, uh, people that maybe physically aren't so gifted. If you have that relentless work ethic and that want to do it, like a lot of the women uh, in the CST had, according to the book, <laughs> she's the, uh, the only one I knew personally, but that relentless work ethic and that want to be the best, I think that that can overcome a lot of obstacles uh, in life, not just in the military. Well, and I think a little bit too about what you're saying is the, the work ethic and this is, you know, kind of, I mean, like I said, I've been in the military a long time, but changing of the generations, our generation, maybe we got outside a little bit more and played, or maybe, maybe this other, this new generation, they don't, they're, they're hiding behind the computers and, and, and video games and, and those kind of type of things. So the physical part is a little bit different, but it comes down to, to really your work ethic, because you may not be the most physically gifted, but if you're the guy that gives up 
after two seconds or you're not willing to push yourself to get yourself better. And I think that's what a lot of like leaders, at least when you come into us, that's what we want to see. We just want to see the work ethic, you know. How much do you think Ashley felt she had to overcompensate because she was a, a female, because she was smaller? I don't think that that was ever even a concern of hers. She wasn't doing it for anyone else. You know, I didn't really know the whole story about, um, you know, bringing the recruiter to her parents and everything. But I think that even showed like, yeah, she was an adult. She didn't need their permission, but she's like, this isn't all about me. This is about the bigger picture. And whether my family feels comfortable with me doing this, that's what's important. And she's probably going to do it anyway because she's very determined. But she's like, if I can go into this, having someone else feel better about it, it's what I should be doing. And I think that she proved that this was not about, she wasn't trying to prove to her parents that she could do this. She just wanted to make them feel better about it. She wasn't trying to prove to big army that women can hold this position. She just wanted to do something that made a difference. But, but there has to be some element of it. I mean, I say this from the, from the standpoint of you show up on your team and there's yeah. a guy to your left and a guy to your right. They could be a guy, they could be a, a, an alien, right? They're on the team and they've been there and they've done that. And for her, I mean, showing up and, and deploying with the Rangers, all the Rangers happen to be males. And there is that desire to prove yourself. I mean, it might not be because they're males and because you're a female, but there's got to be some element of that, right? She wanted, I, she wanted to prove herself, mostly to herself. It wasn't about other people um, most of the time. She would show up and she always said, if you're the best, it, nothing else matters. You know, because I we had long talks about women in the military between our friends group. And she always said, if you're the best, it won't matter. And I think that's how she proved herself. She just knew that if, if she was the best, that it wouldn't matter. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that about how she, she brought you, Brian, mm -hmm. to her family's home in order to just soften the blow, you know? And I mean, it, like you said, it probably wouldn't have deterred her from from joining but it's these kind of it's this sensitivity exactly. it's this lateral connection that she's making just to support the decision even more i mean jason you you didn't do that i mean you sprung this on your parents and then told them after the fact and then it, what did you do doug well i never met doug's parents when i when i was recruiter <laughs> for him <laughs> so and that's that's what i'm saying what really stuck out is because most of the guys you know guys and girls they, they wouldn't make the decision on their own they didn't have and and as a recruiter, you said this was an anomaly that oh, yeah. that you that she went to you it, and it, said, it, "Please." As a campus recruiter, it was. Yeah, yeah. high right. schools is obviously different. Right, but, but yeah. it was an anomaly, and you were saying she came to you and asked you this request. It's a yeah. little bit, it's a little bit out of left field, but you were like, mm -hmm. "Okay, we'll play." And even if we would have said no, she would have probably still joined. Yeah, but that's not that's not who we were, and that's not what she wanted, and that was right. at her request. Which obviously, like I said, we. Did. We took the time because we knew it meant a lot to her. Yeah. So, and, and you could tell that she was. But she my was, point is, it's like here she is already sort of paving a, a way, right? She's saying, I'm going to, it's okay to do it a little bit different. Yeah. And I think, you know, reading about in the book, reading about all the different types of women that did join the CST, they all had different paths and they all had different ways of, quote, proving themselves or proving it to themselves that this is what 
they were meant to do. And I liked that different, like being able to see the different types of women that were part of this and knowing Ashley, how she fit into that journey. Well, this gives us a good segue to talk about the cultural support teams and kind of how it came about. And, and the book Ashley's War does a good job sort of, you know, laying the groundwork, how that happened. And it, it became, you know, it was coming from the top, you know, you had Admiral McRaven, you had um, Admiral Olson. Olson, yeah, Admiral Olson as well. And they were looking at, you know, what was going on in Afghanistan and saying, we're missing a huge piece of information, of intelligence, of this cultural understanding, and it's not going well. So, you know, they were already thinking about how do we crack this nut? You know, how do we leverage more of, you know, the talent that America has in its, in its, you know, armed forces. And, you know, and then it became, you know, like anything with the military, it's like pump out some flyers and see what happens, you know? <laughs> so somebody has got to recruit them. In there. <laughs> no, I, I totally remember getting that email. I was working at Walter Reed at the time and nurses weren't actually um, able to join the CSTs. And I, because I looked into it and I, I, you know, I got the email back. No, sorry. Nurses aren't. When was able. that? When that? 2000, uh, probably 2011, uh-huh. uh, late 2010, maybe early 2011. But we didn't have the flyers. I love, I love though that like you, I know exactly what they're talking you know about. What You're in some, like, yeah. some crappy bathroom. You're like, oh, there, <laughs> that little flyer is sitting on. Oh, maybe I, I can do, imagine maybe I that, do that that sent a shockwave you know, mm -hmm. through the females in the military. Oh yeah. That it, Especially they were, people that, you know, I love being a nurse and, um, I loved what I was able to do in the military as a nurse, but it's a lot like civilian life. Sometimes you show up at the hospital, you do your 12 hour shift, especially working at places like Walter Reed. That's not even on a base. I was like, am I just like, why am I in the military if I'm not feeling like I'm doing cool shit? Stuff, the, you know? the, the, like, the basic and, soldiers. Yeah, you know, um, and so I, when I saw that, I was like, well, this would be a really cool opportunity. I had the opportunity to deploy later with a different, you know, group, but I always, even after Ashley was killed and, you know, you, you know, the, the danger of that this can actually happen to someone, you know, and in the, in the medical field and this and that, you know, I still looked into it, you know, because it's, you want to do cool shit. Like that's, I mean, I know that's not across the board for army nurses, but reading that book and seeing all these women that just, they want to do a little more. They don't want to sit behind a desk. They don't want to do X, Y, Z. They want to be in it. Want to be part of the action. Yeah. yeah. They want to feel like they deserve to be there too. Yeah. And it's funny because how much is it, it's changed now from when it was then compared to what, what goes on now where, where, what I mean is. Uh, females can enlist in pretty much any MOS. And I want to say it, almost everything's open for them right now. So that that was not the case around that time and during the CST teams as well. How have you seen that affect your recruitment? Uh, I would say it's it's you're putting females in, in units that obviously had never had them. So the transition at first was pretty rough because the units weren't ready for them yet. And you may not have had leadership, you know, female leaders in that, in those units. So it, it took some some integration, but I think now I don't I don't think it anything skips a beat. I think like you were saying earlier, if if you're an alien next to you, if male, female, you're you're gonna protect certain, you're gonna do what you gotta do. You don't care. That's your team, that's your people. So 
I've always been curious though, um, because you were an operator to know what your opinion would be, because it's different putting women in a line unit in a, I don't know, an engineering unit or a tanker unit. But when you get to the real, real cool stuff, what do you think that would have been? Cause you didn't serve with women. I mean, that was before your time or after your time, the CSTs, but I was always very curious of, of what someone would think about it in that position. Mm, the weight of the, <laughs> the, the weight of the community. No, no, I'll take it. I think if, if you start from the, the mission objective itself and you work backwards, which is what I believe Admiral Olson and, and others were doing, right? You know, the Green Berets are diplomat warriors or diplomats with guns, however you want to say this, right? And your goal is to achieve mission success with, with the least amount of violence possible. Like you can train, you can train a gorilla to squeeze a trigger and to do it accurately, right? You, you literally can. Yeah, I was in the infantry. I can, <laughs> I can attest. Right? I mean, it's it, the, the hardest thing to do is to train someone when not to pull the trigger, right? Because it, it implies a, a much greater assumption of risk. So if you look at a, at a battlefield as a 360 degree place, and, and it is, if not more, and, and you say, you want every available asset at your disposal in order to achieve your mission success. It gets hard when you start assigning titles to people because there are certain gates that you need to pass in order to, to attain those titles, such as Green Beret, such as Ranger, such as Delta Operator, such as whatever, right? I don't think there's anybody on the planet, the planet of America, who would say, you know, the, the center of the, the universe, right? Who would say there's not a, a role. I'm going to start with, with the bridges first, and then we'll get into some of the divisions. The bridges are Ashley White is exactly the kind of person that you want on your mission to go and deal with stuff like was getting dealt with right. in Afghanistan. Absolutely. Like just by every account from what I've read and, and just looking at you all in the eyes, the, the, the reverence that you hold for her, not because of the fact that she died, but because of who she was. That's exactly what you want. The greater challenges come when you start dealing with standard degradation. For instance, it is a very absolute thing to say, if you're the best, it doesn't matter. I can just tell you for a fact, she would not have been the best rucker had she joined the Ranger Battalion had she tried out for special forces. That's not because she's a female. That's because she's 5'2", 130, right? The, the rucksack, my, my infill rucksack on Robin Sage was 130 pounds. I mean, that's 100% of your body weight for 18 to 24 hours. Like that, that's just not, I mean, physiologically, upper body, upper body strength, it's disproportionately towards males, not females. That's the gate as it exists right now. That's just the standard of, of what it is. Now the questions become, should we alter that? Or, or is that going to, is that going to prohibit every single female from earning this, this title? And, and I would say, no, it won't. But if you, if you held the standard to what it is, this is not an equal thing. This is not ever going to be 50, 50. And I don't know if that's necessarily the goal. That's not what it's about. Right. Yeah. It's not what it's about. Mm -mm. It, it, it's, it's, you worded it great. It's, it's about how this person can help accomplish the mission. So to that end, I mean, for me, looking at what an actual CST was, I mean, that seems ideal. I mean, I'm, I'm sure ideal when you're operating on a big base or there's 
more, how do I say this? There's more room for, for kind of separation. It, it poses fewer risks. If all of a sudden you're, you're on a fire base in Afghanistan with one ODA and you've got 12 dudes and you've got one small team and you're living in one room and it's bunks, there's just, you can, you can imagine how that's going to more dramatically change the behavior that goes on inside of that firebase. That's not to say that CSTs, that role, females in combat aren't needed or required in that position or that we should not accommodate. It's not to say that at all. It's just to say there are certain and inherent realities that do exist when you, you mix those two worlds. Well, what you saw from the book was that the CST program out in Kandahar and Afghanistan, that was the first time they were figuring this stuff out. And frankly, there was a lot to be desired, you know, and, you know, the fact that, you know, the passage that you read at the beginning, Jason, they, they hadn't even thought ahead to have them fill out their casualty packets. You know, they had this broom closet of an office, you know, I mean, they did not have the training that they needed to be in that situation. And, you know, for my background, I was in when there was a big surge and, you know, intel officers from my class were being deployed out, you know, Operation Cannonball to Iraq and, and Afghanistan. And I, I volunteered to go. I, I did not get, I got sent to West Africa instead, but a lot of my colleagues went. And frankly, a lot of them have suffered because they were civilians off the street that went through like a few weeks of some training to get, you know, check the box and get over there. And, you know, we have a saying that like the cavalry's not coming, you know, like you kind of have to figure stuff out on your own, you know, and, and I know this is not just specific to the Intel community, you know, this, this bleeds over, you know, Ashley and, and the other CSTs, I mean, they, they had to share equipment. They had to like help each other out. You know, they had to, you know, ask for things from back home. I mean, it's. I mean, that, that's been going on for forever, though. Right. I mean, like a broom closet of, a, of an office. I mean, there was no, no office. No, in the talk about training, into, training yeah. where they well, trained appropriately. The integration. That's, that's it goes back to the integration, what I was talking about, where it, sometimes the integration, you have, you know, a couple years maybe to roll it out. Like with the CSD, you got like two weeks, two months, make it work. And it's not all planned out and thought out as well because the timing. I think I asked the question because I do think I don't have all the answers. I will never pretend to, but I do think that there's definitely some gray area. And it seems like there are some people that are stuck in their stances one side or the other, where maybe we can rethink this without trying to pretend we already have the answers. Like you said, the CST seemed ideal. And when I first heard about it, when I first heard about it from her, I should be fair. When I first heard about it, I was very critical, uh, to be honest with you. And I, I was very ignorant. Um, to, that there were, cause I saw Ashley as a total enigma as, as just, she's one individual. And the truth is that it, biologically we are different men and women are a lot different. And I think that you, you put it right when you said that there has to be some separation there for, uh, for logistical purposes, for things that are realities and, and not just look good on paper. It's funny. Cause Ashley, when, when the last time I saw her in person and she told me she was going to be a CST. And, and talked about exactly what it was. And I, I told her, I'm like, I know that no matter what happens, you'll rock it. I said, you're going to be out there with, uh, with the ranger stuff. And she always said, Hey, you were the one that wanted to be infantry. You know, I wanted to help people, but I also want to be with the best. And like that just, it let me know that she wanted to be like, she understood 
that there are nuances and things in gray area. I didn't mean to put you on the spot, by the way. <laughs> he doesn't mind it. Um, maybe I meant being ignorant here, but talk to me. How, how hard is it to logistically accommodate a team of females in combat? When you're talking about a team, though, I think that it has to be separate between a team of females and a team with females. I mean, it varies. Yeah, they're completely different. Yeah. Or with a female and perhaps right. the, the whole other ones are, are males. I mean, look, I, this is this is actually not anything new. I mean, go back to go back to World War II. Go back to all of the wars of antiquity. Women have different access and placement. They have different capabilities. They have different skills. Males behave differently around women than they do other males. I mean, there's there's infinite numbers of things that if you're smart and we need to be fucking smart. Like when, when you're playing with people's lives, like war does, you need to be smart. You need to use everything at your disposal. And for us to be our best, we have to, we have to take this, this brain trust and this, this sort of where, where the human spirit burns brightly, like it did with Ashley. Those are the people that we, if they want to serve and say, send me, we need to find the right place for them. We got to, we got to adjust to their skill set almost. I think though something that when I get fired up about this, it's more about, okay, so yes, there are biological differences between, you know, Ashley carrying a 130 pound pack and yes, men are biologically better equipped to do those things. But when you're talking about, okay, so we have to share these small bunks and it's like, who does that make uncomfortable? The men? Like, I don't really care. Exactly. I don't really care. I'll go sleep in a sweaty, smelly room with a bunch of men. Like, I don't really care. I, I don't know. I and mean. I, yeah. And I get what you're saying, Jason. Because I they, get what you're you, saying, you Jason, too. You have to too. be smart because, you know, any sort of crack in the, the system is going to, you know, denigrate the team and, and puts people Correct. at risk. Exactly. But, you know, <laughs> to, but, to a certain extent, it's yeah. like, whose problem is it? And that's, yeah. I think that's a and very fair question. Yes. And, and, but that is exactly what you were talking about in that. It, it is a gray area. It's, there's no right answer. There's no right yes or no. And the people that believe that there is a, yes, they should no they shouldn't. I think that they're ignorant in different ways. I don't want to be a killjoy about this, but you know, we're talking about this very idealistic, like the, you know, the needs and this person has the skill set and will fit them in. When have we ever seen a huge system and a bureaucracy do that really well? Especially in the military. Not in the government. <laughs> Not in the government. I mean, all I heard was needs of the service. You oh, find a way to Army, fit yeah. in there yeah. and, you it's know, you do the best phrase. you can. So, you know, it's, it, I think it's maybe for these special operations teams, they're more nimble. They, you know, they're, they're able to, to adapt and overcome these sort of things easier. But like, we're talking about, uh, changes afoot. And it's just going to take time. It's going to take time and it's going to take people like Ashley, you, Molly, and people like you, Brian, and, and you supporting the, you know, these women and saying, no, they deserve to be there. And you know, that one guy who's having a hard time sharing a bunk, you know, kick him the fuck out. You know, that's my point. Right. Well, and you, it's the, the army nowadays. I mean, the, the thing with what's going on, I just read a uh, article, I believe it was last month, the, all the sharp issues. The what issues? Like the, the sexual assault, sexual harassment, all, all those type of issues. They're at all-time high right now. So, and I, and I feel like that could be, on the outside looking in, it would just be like, well, maybe now you're integrating them. And then, of course, those issues. So when you're, it may not affect you, per se, but somebody else. No, I'm, it, you I'm know what I mean? not 
uh, immune to those issues. Oh, yeah, I have yeah. no woman is immune to those issues. And, you know, when I was actually deployed, they made it mandatory that there was a sexual assault forensic nurse at every base. So I got sent to Bagram to do an accelerated uh, forensic course um, in order to do that. And like, that sucks, man. That sucks that that is a thing and that that has to be an issue. But, you know, it is there. And I'm not yeah. saying that that's obviously that is a gigantic problem. However, it's I don't think that women aren't able to fill these roles to help accomplish the mission because of that. I think that there it's more of this mindset of what we can and can't do. But Brian, you're saying that we're seeing more of that and people are drawing a correlation to they, it yeah, being integrated. Absolutely. But yeah. do you think that's the case or do you think they pre-existed? Uh, I agree with what Molly was saying, to be honest with you. I, I, I don't, it, from the outside looking in, I, I, I could see where people think that, you know, the more the more females you put where they've never been before around males, and like you say, maybe sharing a closet with, you know, 15 males and there's one female. I mean, I could see where that does, you know, it, it, and, and, and it goes back to also with, I was in a, I was a 19 kilo, I was a tanker, I was arm recruitment. So it was all male unit. When you're with all males, your attitudes are different, you know? No, and there's a female. Problem around. is that? No, I know. I know. Sorry, that's what I'm saying. Is this like? Are, are we here to judge, yeah, it's or are we here us. to right. to kill and defeat the enemy? Right. I mean, this this is not something to yeah. be trifled with. Right. And, oh, yeah. and ultimately, at some point, it, it does actually matter what happens in reality, not what we think should happen. And sometimes those changes take generations. And that's, uh, I couldn't agree more. It's not nope. going to be a uh, light switch. And, and, no. when, and when we impose certain things or mandate certain outcomes, I'm sitting here saying, I'll go on any mission with Ashley White, right? And, and those of her ilk who, who fucking prove it like she did. My, my point is that it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone should always have the same title. If you look at the Rangers, the Rangers are they're looked at as CAG support, like Delta Force support, right? Like they don't, don't have the same title. It's, and, and oh, by the way, I mean, there are and have been female, quote, operators for some time now. Like this is not anything actually new because the tip of the spear, the tip of the tip of the tip of the apex predator spear in America, the greatest military that has ever existed, bar none, has determined that f females should be operators. Like this is not some... They, they didn't, they weren't obligated. There was not a, a mandate or a law. It was, it was primal. We want to fucking win. We want to kill more bad guys than can, can do us harm. And it's, and, sh it's shown that it adds to combat effectiveness, adding females yeah, to, to special operations. That doesn't mean in large numbers or, you know, equality versus equity, giving them the opportunity to be a part of special forces without saying, Hey, now we have to have you, like you were saying, like it goes back to titles you know, well, now we, we're rangers. Well, I think there was even a part of the book that um, they were out at Benning doing something and a woman came up to them like, you women are doing great. I would give you all green berets if I could. And they're like, no, stop. <laughs> like we, it's probably, you're the problem. She was, I think one of the women said that like, yeah, no, I think you're they the deserved problem. it or something. Was yeah, like, I, I kind of it lost me a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But she's like, no, we, we, aren't here because we want to wear a green beret. And what you're talking about, Jason, is this title um, that these women have been here there. They've been doing these things in different capacities. 
And it's like, okay, now that it's public knowledge or official, everyone has a fucking opinion, you know? But if we assume, look, this is an assumption worth reminding us that we need to assume. The battlefield is a better place with women on it. Women who choose to be there and to sign up and to say, send me. And, Meet and, the standard. Yeah. The, 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 the same standard. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yep. I mean, th- this isn't a draft. It's not any of that. It's, it's, you need that. That will be good for outcomes and that will be good for morale because outcomes will be better. When, when you start to then say, it just, it, there's not a lot of room for nuance anymore. And like, you know, you feel this kind of, even right now, as we're tiptoeing around all this stuff, it's kind of like, look, there is a social experiment. It is, it, it cannot be described as anything but that. If you put, which has never happened, if you put a female Green Beret on a 12-man ODA, a 12-man A-team, and you deploy them to combat, that is going to be a real test. And, and you know, it's either- Do you think it'll happen? I mean- it's just a question of when. Yeah, I was going to say it's over time and there's no doubt it will happen. I think I, there are women that could do it. There are. It's, but then I think you can't take the anomaly, like the, the women that can do it, right, and want to do it and, and, and don't mind being put in that situations when the dudes are running around farting on each other, being, you know, primal. And you can't assign that to when now one has to be in each unit. I think that's part of the issue is we're not starting at the mission. Like you said, we're not starting at the mission and working backwards. Sometimes we're, we're trying to fill in whatever people's ideas are or whatever they push instead of saying, what's the mission and how do we accomplish it effectively and with the least amount of violence and with the least amount of casualties possible. I mean, if you, if you take the extreme positions in this, they're both, they're both fundamentally flawed, right? I mean, the first position is women should never be in combat. I mean, they already are. They have been since the beginning of time. And, you know, like I said, the apex predators of the universe have decided, Americans have decided that this is women in, in their organizations are a productive and positive thing, right? The other side of it is that the military should be some type of social experiment. That That's just, it, it's usually propagated by people who have no bearing in reality of, of war. And, and that is a huge problem because look, the nuance is this, this has to move forward, but, but you have to allow it to actually be tested a little bit. You have to see what the outcomes actually are in reality, because as much as we can say, oh, well, it's, it's the guy's problem. They should. And all of these kinds of things, it's like, are we trying to win a war or are we trying to impose? And ideally, you know, you give, like you said, you give this time, it's a slow roll, you know, you let this just become, instead of forcing it on, like you said, making it a mandate to have, you know, X amount of women per whatever, you just let it, let it develop and and evolve on its own until, you know, like you said, these, you know, apex predators, these ranger battalions, these other folks are saying, we, we want her. We don't want to go in there without her because she brings value to the team. Jason, when you said it has to be tested, that's a very fair point. And I think that people need to then, just because we start something doesn't mean we have to be willing to change our minds and to change course. If something's working really great, if you've been against women in combat, for example, it's been shown that it's it, it's working, right? So those people should, should slowly be changing their minds. Now, if you're saying, you know, it, it needs to be 50% of whatever the other extreme In, in some cases, it's been shown that it's not working and you haven't sure. really seen those 
get, get all blasted around the news, but there's been, you know, loss of morale. There's been all sorts of things where these units get attached and it doesn't go well culturally. It doesn't go well at all. Now that, that you can also attribute that to, Hey, a new person comes onto a team. That's a dude. And it's, it's, it's anytime a new person comes into a team, everyone plays who's who in the zoo. Right. And it's all eyes on the new guy. And, and that is a horrific place to be all at. It's, it's like a thousand times worse than being awkward and 15 and not knowing your way in the world. I mean, it is just very, very high octane, high stress environment. And, and so when you introduce a female team of CSTs, let's just take an example into a fire base in the middle of Afghanistan, and it doesn't go well, you can and will make certain assumptions about why. And, and the assumption is not, oh, it's not to say, oh, we don't need women on the battlefield. Maybe that team wasn't ready for it. Maybe, you know, there's all, there's a million different ways to look at it. Like they, they, they should be ready. This should be a thing, you know, in, in the book, they, they also talked about his job with this program was to provide a service that commanders would say, I want, those are the kinds of things where it is voluntary. And, and I support that perspective of Admiral Olson's to say, our job is to build this up, but we can't actually force the teams to take these teams on. They should do it for the same reasons that other units have chosen to do it because it makes them more efficient and effective at their job, which has, which has positive outcomes for mission success, for survivability of your own team and, and those kinds of things. And so, look, there's not a lot of nuance that, that, that is allowed to be talked about this. And, and that's kind of a symptom of our time. And I don't think that just because, you know, Emily and I say, oh, you know, this works, this works, that yes, Ash you would have taken Ashley on your team. I heard stories about other CSTs that did not mend well with their team. And I'm sure that you have had, you know, you know, people, you know, cadre that are like, yeah, that CST didn't mess this up or this, or, you know, just was not. And that's exactly what this is. This is you want someone that's an asset to the team and not, and yeah, it, maybe it'll take time for just to get used to a woman there. That's okay. That's okay that it takes that time. However, there's just going to be some bad women too. And like, I rec we recognize that. And just like, just because you have a woman on the team doesn't make it better. You want Ashley's on your team. So changing direction a little bit. <laughs> that was, no, it was, no, like it's it. an important discussion. And obviously it's Ashley's, what she's done that in the CSTs that, that have like brought this conversation, you know, and, and pushed it forward. But, you know, I, I want to move back to her a little bit and talk about where each of you were when you found out the really, really terrible news about her death. And if you could, you know, share that with us. Uh, I'll go first. Cause I probably knew first. Um, so I had a call, uh, from Brittany actually Saturday morning and it was, it was a little bit odd on, on off weekends. We never really didn't really work a lot on Saturdays. So unless we had an event or whatnot and, uh, we had government phones and our personal cell phones. Well, I get a number from my, uh, you know, probably about seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning on my government phone on a Saturday. And I was look at it still in bed and okay, who's this? And didn't recognize the number. And I, I pick it up and she's like, Ashley's been killed. And literally it was just like, just stop. Cause I was like, Oh, was like what? And then it, cause I, it took me a couple minutes to even realize what just happened. 
and then I, I talked to obviously Brittany was 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 crying and when she called me and I was just like just remember just waking up and just sitting there and just like oh my gosh like you've got to be kidding me because I've put in um enlisted myself I think it, over over 100 100 and some soldiers um and then I was also a, a team leader so they my I had four or five recruiters work for me they put in hundreds of soldiers and this was the first person that had ever passed away overseas. Now, we've had soldiers that, you know, died in a car accident, committed suicide, something like that. But never someone that was deployed uh, overseas that was a, a direct recruiter, one of my guys recruits. So it was it was just that unbelievable, like one of the lowest, lowest moments. Cause, and then it didn't actually get released to, to the media until Monday. So really that day and, and Sunday, it was very, and I, and I wasn't my job to tell friends or so people were slowly getting to know. And then um, it was just, it was just one a very long, rough weekend. So. So mine was Saturday evening. We had been out with some friends and um, a, a buddy of mine, Caleb, his wife was calling me. I thought that was a little odd. So, I, you know, we picked up, uh, super cheerful. I probably said something extremely inappropriate to his wife, like I did all my friends' wives. And um, she had a very serious tone in her voice. And um, she said, Ashley was killed. And I immediately said, Ashley who? Like it couldn't, it didn't register. And she was like, Ashley White was killed in combat. And she didn't say anything else. And I, I don't remember, um, but I, I sat on my bed at some point and then I asked her again. And I said, are you sure Ashley White, our Ashley White was killed in combat? She's like, yeah. She's like, it, it happened. And so I hung up the phone and my wife at the time was there and she was like, what, what just happened? And uh, I was like, Ashley was killed in combat. And she was like, are you okay? Uh, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And about an hour later, it hit me all at once. Um, I was kind of numb until then. And I just sat down and uh, tears were rolling down my face. And I didn't, like, I wasn't thinking about it. And it just hit me all at once uh, that she had been killed. Now, I had other friends killed in combat. And um, all of them were, were infantrymen. And it was different. And maybe it shouldn't have been. Maybe that makes me bad. But it was different. Um, mostly because... In the infantry, you, you sign up to do those kind of things. You go in and you want it. And she really wanted to help people. And I felt in that moment uh, and for a long, long time, super guilty that I had the mindset of what I wanted to go in and do and who I wanted to be. And I didn't mind getting that. You know, if that happened to me, that's fine. When I was deployed, I made, that's fine. If I don't come home, I was doing what I, what I wanted to do. She wanted to help people. She didn't want to play shoot him up, bang, bang. She really, really cared about humanity. And it, it I don't know if it's survival guilt or what it is, but it, it hurt um, still to this day. Um, I, I struggle with that because that's, I signed up, you know, to go into combat. And it's not fair because women weren't allowed into combat arms at the time going back to our old. So uh, she took the, the best opportunity she could have. And that's what happened. But I still was like, it's Ashley. She wanted to help people. And so I, that's how I found out in, in the pervasive guilt <laughs> that may, maybe is re regional, maybe it isn't. But how about you, Molly? I, I 
can't remember which day it was. I It was probably Monday if that was when it was released to the public. Um, I remember I had worked all weekend because I remember I had, it was my first day off after having worked like several in a row. And um, I got a text message from one of my Bullock buddies that um, she's like, didn't you, wasn't she in your platoon? And like sent the the media blast of it. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like, like I knew she had deployed. I knew she was with the CST. You know, I went back through like my Facebook messages of like the last time I had talked to her and it was prior to her deploying that I knew she was going. But I think it was more of a, you know, you say that going into combat arms or, you know, going in infantry, you know, several people that are killed overseas and that's just part of it. Like, you're a little more sheltered in the medical field. Like, it's not that I didn't think I would never know anyone or be part of, you know, but you, it's not as common, I suppose. Um, and so I think, and the fact that it was Ashley just was like a double, triple whammy of just like little white, like <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was her nickname. We had, a, we had two whites in our platoon. And so she was little white. <laughs> Who was the other one? Big white? <laughs> Probably big white. <laughs> no, it was just white and little white. <laughs> but yeah, little white. Um, but yeah, I, uh, it was, and then, so I think I just spent all day on the phone and on the computer, just, you know, talking to all my six platoon friends, just kind of, we started sharing stories and I have a video that I had put, I, looking back, I had put on Facebook that, that day of, um, when we were in, uh, Camp Bullis, which is like where you go out to the field in San Antonio, we had like a day of did stuff in the morning. And then I think we had like some of the afternoon off. And we planned this, this sounds so silly now, but it was really fun. We planned this water balloon attack on the guy's tent. <laughs> and yes. it's it's actually a great video because it is so Ashley. And Ashley like took control and she's like, all right, Alpha team, we're doing the, we're going here. You guys are gonna be behind the porta potties. And like I have a video of her like plotting out where <laughs> we're all going to do the sneak at water balloon attack on the on the men's tent. Um but just like rewatching that, it just made this me really happy. This is the real reason they don't want women in combat, exactly. right? <laughs> Water exactly. balloon fights. Hey, it was very well organized. <laughs> we accomplished our mission. Um, yeah, I just, you know, we all were able to kind of start sharing all the memories and pictures we have of her. And um, yeah, it was a real big shock. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of what, what following up with what you just said, Molly, about the, then the next step. So then the next step, once it was released to the media, we were still good friends with all the, a lot of the soldiers, a lot of the cadets that would, were there at that time. Because when I was there, I was there all four years for her, it, you know, and, and a lot of them, a lot of her friends, some of them went through and commissioned with their ROTC. Some of them just remained enlisted. Uh, some got out completely. But, you know, we saw them as 18-year-old kids. And now they're adults. Some of them even had families. But after we did find out that, you know, Ashley had passed away, then we reached out to all of them to kind of put our arms around them because it was, we wanted to make sure they were okay dealing with it um, the best that they could. And then obviously everyone went into the, to the funeral. And I don't know if you want to get into that as well. Yeah. Tell us, tell us about, I mean, the, the calling hours, I, I couldn't tell you the line, it was in a high school gymnasium and the line, I don't know, you've probably never been to that area before Molly until then, but that line of people, the, the community, just the the fact, that, I mean, the lives that 
you know, she touched. It was just amazing to see how many people came out. I mean, lines around the building, like probably four times around the building. It was just amazing. Um, and one of the things that that I always do, uh, what are the the cards that they give? The prayer cards. Yeah. So um, I picked one. I picked one up, and from that day, and if I had, if I was in my uniform right now, in my call my wife right now, it's literally right in my in my pocket, in my uniform. I wear that every single day. And when I take off from one uniform to the next, I always take that card and I put it right right, right back where it goes, right over my heart. That's really beautiful. I have that same prayer. Yeah, that's, that prayer card. I we, think I have my prayer card yeah. too. <laughs> it's in my office. Um, it's it's taped up next to the picture of my family. Uh, sitting right there in my office with a, with a big arrow of, of that's why you do this. I mean, that's a, it's good to talk about like how much she meant to the world. Um, even just during the conversation we had, which I think the conversations are good to have. People, as you were saying earlier, it's like people shouldn't be afraid to have the hard conversations about these things because it matters. Um, and that's one thing about Ashley mattered. And like what what she did and who she was as a human being mattered. And I think the aftermath uh, of her death has carried on forever. High hope forever. I'll never stop talking about her. Well, I mean, there's, there's a book out about her story and, and some other CSTs as well. There's a movie coming out. I mean, there's the legacy that that you all carry from having known her. I mean, what it, it's kind of a tricky ground here, but it, it's like, what do you think she would want? Like, if she if she's sitting up in heaven right now, I think she's bright red. <laughs> um, no, uh, Brittany has talked about this several times, just about like how she never wanted center of attention she never wanted. And I don't think that she would not appreciate all the hoopla of making of her because she deserved it. Um, but I think that she would be embarrassed that like she is getting attention. But I think that if her story touches people, which it has, I mean, even just in the go ruck community in the babes group, like the, the women's, uh, go ruck group. I mean, we talk about it at events. We, you know, I've had several strangers reach out to me being like, Oh, I know you knew her. This book was super like influential on me. Like I, I really appreciate that, you know, her story is being told and that, you know, of all the things to come out of this, like, I'm so happy that that is her story is being told. And I think in my opinion, I would say that the fact that women are fully integrated in the military, they can do any job for the most part. I think that that's something that I would venture to say that she would really respect and, and wanted. And also they do a 5k every year for up at Kent State University. I think that that's what she would want females yeah. to do, you know, get out and run. That's, that was a passion of hers. And I feel like she would really want others to get out there and get your butt in shape, get off the phone. Yeah. And I, I, I could see her laughing and saying something like that. <laughs> um, I recently did a, uh, travel assignment. I'm a travel nurse occasionally. <laughs> um, I took a travel assignment in Gallup, New Mexico, and it was through an agency that fills in needs for, uh, government facilities. So this was with IHS, the Indian health service in uh, Navajo nation. And it was just a quick, like three week go in, you work 18 shifts in three weeks and you're out. But anyway, the coordinator for that, I met her. I came separate from the group because I was a very last minute addition to the team. We were talking and I don't even know how it got. Oh, she saw my rock. 
<laughs> I forgot. She saw my ruck. And she's like, oh, I, you know, I heard about that go ruck thing. I was like, oh, yeah. come. She lives in Nashville. So I was like, come to the babes event in uh, in October. But anyway, so we're talking. She's like, oh, yeah, I serve too. I was like, oh, well, like, you know, were you, were you medical? And she's like, oh, no, I was medical. But I, you know, I was part of a CST group. I was like, really? I was like, what year? She's like, uh, it's at the end of 2011, 2012. And I was like, I was like, did you know Ashley White? And she's like, she kind of actually turned a little pale. She was like, actually, I replaced her. She's like, I was her replacement in with this team. And she said, when she's like, when I got there, everyone stopped talking and looked at me. And I, I finished her sentence. I was like, because you look just like her. Like she was the same, like sure. And she's like, yes, everyone's like, you look just like Ashley. And so I was like, this is like a small world moment. But, and it was like, I had just done another book panel with Brittany like that earlier that morning before I left for Gallup. What sort of book tour was there? Uh, it wasn't a book tour. So Brittany emailed me once we had like been talking about this uh, panel that she knew a professor that taught a war in medicine class. He knew Brittany from the hospital and said, hey, we're reading Ashley's War as part of this class. Um, would you mind doing like this Zoom call and then Brittany emailed me and asked if I wanted to be on it too. So, like, what was the biggest thing that you took away from Ashley's War of the Book? Ooh, um, it's funny because I felt like I knew Ashley's story. Like, all the things that Ashley or they talked about Ashley in the book, like, I felt like I was like, well, I know that she's already a badass. I know that she. So, honestly, one of the biggest things I got from the book was. I loved reading about all the CSTs. I loved reading about the different backgrounds they came from and how even though they came from totally different worlds, I kind of was like, oh, they're kind of like me. Like it's like like-minded women. And I think that I actually find that in the GORUT community a lot too, that we show up and we do these stupid things that people don't understand and we love and we keep coming back to it. And I could see how Ashley fit in with these women and how she touched their lives as well. Well, it's like you see that in special forces as well. Right. I mean, you've got guys coming from all different yeah. parts of our country with all different backgrounds. Yeah, there's, and, the, but there's either, this common- Either you mesh or you don't. Yeah. And I think that like, I mean, even our platoon, the group that you know I've been telling about, that was 11 years ago. We still all keep in touch on Facebook and not because of Ashley. Like that was just an additional like part of it. Like. We all, like, I see each other. I, I was a bridesmaid in one of my friend's weddings. Um, we all keep in touch. And I think the Ashley aspect of it was just an additional tighter. tighter yeah, yeah, exactly. The interesting thing about the book, too, is if you didn't know Ashley personally, um, just coming from my perspective, I would have, you almost are like, this has got to be some kind of propaganda, right? Like, there's no way she could do 25 dead hang pull-ups. <laughs> except I've seen her with my own eyes do 25 dead hang pull-ups. And so it's very interesting to go through that. And like in, when the book first came out, there was some pushback from some of that. And I, I made a point to, to be like, no, I knew her in person. This is what she did. This is who it she was. It wasn't an and elaborate story. It was. Yeah. It, there's no. Exactly it, it, and that's it, why I said it didn't surprise me. I was like, well, I, I knew she could right. do that. Like, not that I didn't appreciate that it's being put out there, but I just liked seeing that. There were so many other people that she got to influence and, you know, be a part of their lives. And, and see, I feel like I was the opposite because with the book, we knew she's a badass, but 
just to read it and see what she was actually doing, you're like, holy shit, <laughs> what? I can't believe she's doing this kind of stuff. Because you, you didn't really hear of, like you said, females doing those kind of things. Oh, and Ashley so would never was, brag about it or talk no, about it. No, she wasn't one to write home and tell what she was doing. So it was, it would kind of hit me like, wow, I, I did not realize that was exactly what they were doing. So It's interesting to think about what Ashley would want. Um, I thought about it a lot and like kind of how she, she keeps going. Um, like I take my son to her grave rather regularly uh, and teach him about her. Um, I try, I do youth coaching and it's so interesting um, to see parts of her in some young, some young women, some 10 year old girls I have this cute little girl, Addison, who, who's just adorable. And I see so much of like, because um, when I first met Ashley, she was actually really insecure. And like, I, I saw her grow into a mature and secure woman. And so I try to, to pass off her story, not the, the combat story. I try to pass off who Ashley was. And I, I just see, I see the world differently. Ashley meant a lot. So, I, I mean, it goes into one of... A, a different topic too. I mean, like, you know, veteran, like you said, he's lost soldiers to suicide and stuff like that. In 2015, uh, April, 2015, I was in a terrible way. I was in a garbage relationship that I didn't want to be. And I felt toxic to everybody around me. Uh, mental health is not what it should be for veterans. They try to just pump you full of meds. I was fat, really fat. Uh, my lights were turned off and I was miserable and I was done and I was going to end it all. And I got in my car and I don't remember going there, but I just show up at her grave. And I was whining and complaining and crying about all my problems. And there was a, she has the most beautiful grave you've ever seen. It's gorgeous. It overlays. It's, it's wonderful. And a stick was there and I picked it up and I threw it. And when I turned around with, with just tears running down my eyes, which is the feeling of this was the last day of my life. There's a picture of her on her gravestone staring back at me. And uh, in that moment, I had a feeling actually come from my feet to my head. I, I don't know if I believe in any kind of afterlife. I know that it was real for me in that moment. The feeling overcame me of, what are you doing? You know, this beautiful human being, this wonderful person is dead. And you still have an opportunity that she wasn't given to be alive. And I promised her something that, <clears throat> I'm sorry. I promised her something that day that I was going to live every day. I was going to try to live. I always said try. I was going to try to live every day twice as good, once for me and once for her. And my life totally changed that day. I, I, my career took off. I, I lost a bunch of weight and, and I, I trained past injuries just like I knew Ashley would have. Um, I got out and, and I'm married to a wonderful human being now. And I know that what Ashley would want is for me to share that about her, that she mattered to the people that she knew. She mattered to her sister. She mattered to her brother. She mattered to her family. She mattered to anybody that ever met her because she had a personality that overtook you. You never forgot Ashley. Nobody forgets Ashley because she's one of the best humans I ever knew. And so um, I hope that I'm doing what she would want and uh, being the best me that I can be. Uh, and trying to live it twice as good, once for me and uh, and once for her. So as you as you look at her life and and the impact that she had, I mean, if you really view it in in context, it doesn't doesn't get easier. It, it's not just a life lost. It's 
it's the time that you didn't have. It's the decades. It's the impact of, of more people. You know, it's this service, this selfless service, this army value, right? You know, she had a lot more to give and that's taken from us. And, and if you want to find answers to why, you know, she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I mean, I mean, it's like a sniper round, an IED, a pressure pad, a, you know, all these things, like really, really bad shit happens. And, you know, we're forced to kind of deal with it. That's life. You like, maybe we'll find some answers in the next life. You know? And it's funny that you say that. Cause I, I that's kind of how I wanted to make sure, you know, I got five days left in military. And one of the things I always reflect back on is, you know, I, I did my time. I'm walking away. And, you know, the, the soldiers that, you know, were killed like Ashley and that, you know, they even took their own life or whatever. It's like, they don't have that opportunity to, to leave what they started. And, and it, and it really does affect me. It puts me in a, you know, very, very sad, very dark place sometimes when it, when it comes to looking at it like that. Doug, thank you for sharing that. I'm, I'm crying over here, <laughs> but it's important to share that well, story. Thank you for listening. Yeah, of course. I, I'm, I'm just really grateful that it was Ashley that brought you all here to the Champagne Room at Go Red headquarters. <laughs> well, let me give a shout out to Christy because yeah. she's the one that hit. <laughs> Put us in touch. Yeah, so. Christy um, from Pittsburgh. She did connect us, and and that brought Doug and you here and Molly. You know, we we connected over this story and have have had the chance to meet at other GoRuck events, and it's great to have you here too. And through you, I've been able to meet Brittany, um, Ashley's twin sister, and um, you know, we've been able to connect with her and. And even remember Ashley and, and some hero wads um, over the years. I had posted on Facebook that I was coming here and Ashley's mom messaged me too and just said like, this is so exciting. Like, I'm so glad you're getting the chance to talk about her. And so like, I am grateful for GORUCK. I know Ashley's family is grateful that her story is being told through this community. And I am confident that, you know, sh her story has touched so many people. I guess my my main point in kind of closing, besides just thanking you all for bearing your hearts to mm -hmm. us, is that it's it's left to us. This is the weight that we carry. So, you know, this is part of it. And it's not easy, but it's worth doing. Thanks for coming. Thank you. All right. Thank you so Until much. Next time. Oh, man. Okay. I know. We're all crying <laughs> in the champagne room. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs>